A stu stu Studio D production. Thirteen movie last night just to watch Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought up that I love Andy Samberg, mm -hmm. and yes. Jacob went, "You would." <laughs> Me too. Well, and Kyle hates Andy Samberg. I know, and why? I don't know why. And Kyle's never given me a solid reason. Probably the same way that I hate Katy Perry. I don't have a good reason. I just don't fucking like her. I don't have a good reason for my vendetta against Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> I don't like him either, and I don't know why. I just think he's pro like one of those gross straight boys that just, I don't know. I think your hatred of him is so funny to me. <laughs> it's like pure hatred that you have for this person you have never and will never meet. <laughs> Sit down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls It's all really fucked up, so don't you be fooled You're like, how dare you sometimes? <laughs> it's effed up family story time Hello everyone, welcome to effed up family story time I'm Salem And I'm Hannah And here today we have Belle Hey And a guest, Ryan What's up? Welcome Yay. back, yeah. Thanks for coming back <laughs> to our show. Yeah, real bad bitch. Make his own money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, how's everyone doing? Tired. Good. Can't Looking. be tired. This is our first episode. <laughs> That's why I wanted to go first, because I can just drink. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we're here recording on this beautiful sunny day. Anything new? Ryan, anything new? <laughs> I started rehearsal last week. Ooh. Rehearsal for what? I'm doing Spring Awakening. Awesome. Were you in that before? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I thought you were. in it at Metro with me. The okay. one where Hannah disassociated the whole time. The one where I literally <laughs> don't remember any of it. <laughs> Good times. Um, <laughs> I was talking to mom today about Annie, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, God. I was in Annie because I literally dissociated through the entire thing because our choir <laughs> director was a literal demon oh my god do you remember when she threw that like piece of clothing at someone and the button hit them in like their eye there was still a hanger in it oh it was oh, the god. hanger yeah. yeah and like her mom got called down and there was uh -huh. almost like a fist fight between our oh, fucking shit. choir director and this person's I mean, mom that doesn't sound unusual for for uh <laughs> creative people oh ryan why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you said you're starting rehearsal for Spring Awakening. Tell yes. us about some of the stuff that you are doing, that you're working on, or that you've done in the past. Um, well, I haven't done a show in like three years since COVID. Uh, it's been a tough time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just working, trying to save money in this terrible, terrible world we live in. <laughs> this late stage capitalist this late world. Stage capitalist <laughs> world. Yeah. But you're so. This is the first show then for that you're going to be in for yeah, years. Yeah, in cool. three years, and I'm the lead. Awesome! Yay! Congratulations. That's cool. So, what's we, the company? The theater company. Uh, it's with Family Theater. Okay. Uh, who, which is a company that's very disability uplifting, and they take care of their people very well so far in my experience, and it's super awesome. Nice. You'll have to let us know when the shows are. We'll come and see you. We'll Late March. You. Late March. Okay. What are the dates? Tell it. Tell it to the tell whole podcast. Tell it to the world. Yeah. Let Can you imagine if like so random people who listen, who to, listen this to our podcast show just like came, just came to, to see Ryan? <laughs> That'd be awesome. This Do is, it. This Support is... your local community theater if you live in Woo. Denver. Yeah. Come see us. Uh, but we open our official opening is March twenty fifth. Okay. And nice. we perform up in North Glen uh, at the. Rec Art Center right off oh, of 120th. Oh, that's nice. The one that... Uh, the one that North Glen yeah. does their shows in. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one that's that... That's so nice. Yeah. That Grandma's Choir performed at. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Well, cool. We'll have to check it out. Everybody else out there that is listening that likes theater, come check it out. Support. I'm going to go to every night because he's my best I'll go to friend. one. <laughs> I'll go to probably two. <laughs> So that's cool. Well, let me know what nights you're going and I'll go with. Woo. Yeah. Okay. You want to hear a sad story? I was so fucking humiliated. So Mark, he kind of invited himself over on Friday, which I love Mark, but we never see Mark. And so I was like, shit, yeah, Mark, you can come over. Absolutely. So we went and got some whiskey and some beer and I was thinking we'd shoot pool or something, but he was talking about watching TV and I was like, oh, 
fuck, this is going to be a problem. I knew <laughs> it. I knew it. But I, but he was interested and George wanted to watch TV. And I'm like, well, George is here interacting with him. Because if I sit down after dark and watch TV, I will fall, I will asleep. fall asleep. I will fall asleep. <laughs> doesn't matter if there's people in the room that could be making loud noises. <laughs> I almost fell asleep in the middle of the play last night in that hard ass chair. My tailbone hurt so fucking bad. And I was still like. The sun was down. I couldn't even, I couldn't really see. I kept having to like, every oh. time they would sit on that front bench. Oh, yeah. Because the guy's head was like, and it wasn't his fault. He was just sitting, just watching the show, right? But <laughs> every like, time, asshole. Every time they would sit on that bench, I could only see one of them. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of like, look over to the right and then when the other person would talk I would look over to the left and the person behind me probably fucking hated me but I just wanted to see I felt like the the guy that played the pastor that Jeff Jeff um, I felt like the piaster. Piaster. Um, uh, he was a father. Sorry, the father. He was a priest. He was not just a pastor. Um, the priest. I felt like when he would look to our side of the room, that he was looking right me fucking too. at me. I... So I would have my eyes closed, but then I'd be like, "He knows I'm sleeping. He's gonna be so offended." That's so funny. Kyle tells me because I've told Kyle for for years about Professor Babe. Don't put this in the <laughs> and um. Kyle was like, is that your, your teacher on the program? And I was like, yeah. And we're in the car and he goes, he really is a beautiful man. <laughs> yeah. I love Kyle. <laughs> That's great. We should probably get into we this should. story. Yeah. So uh, this week, <coughs> Coffee McGee is Woo! telling us the story. Are you Charlie, Coffee McGee? take it away. Because... I'm- you're coughing or are you coffee McGee? I because you sling lattes all day. You smell like <laughs> coffees and coffee beans fall out. I'm straight out up your convinced. bra when you get home. Straight up convinced. Just like, I, take your bra off. I wouldn't kill myself if that were the case. I I'm one one coffee bean in a boob away. <laughs> I'm convinced that the only reason I got Kyle to marry me is because I came home every day smelling like coffee. It's a good smell. And now that you don't, he's like, what have I done? He's like, man, this kind of actually sucks. She leaves the house dirty all the time. and <laughs> Always smells like weed in Doesn't here. make a lot of money. <laughs> all right, Charlie. Take it away. All right. So I had the idea for this story a while ago, and I kind of, I think I mentioned it on the podcast. It was when Kelly was doing The Sodder Family. Um, and I said, that sounds a lot like the Johnny Gosh case. And everyone was like, who the hell is Johnny Gosh? Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you today. Who Johnny Gosh is? <laughs> Who the hell That's Johnny Gosh is? The Johnny voice Gosh? actor from Bleach, Johnny Young Gosh. Johnny Young Gosh. <laughs> I think I made that joke to James too yesterday <laughs> when I was researching. I was like Johnny Young Gosh, and he's like, "You can't joke about that. He's a twelve-year-old that disappeared." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. Has, has he met us? I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Johnny Gosh was born November 12th of 1969 in West Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> 69. <laughs> I thought you were laughing at Des Moines for a second, and I was like, what is so funny about that? <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> anyway, continue about this child that disappeared. <laughs> Johnny had a job as a paper boy, and he would leave home before dawn to do his paper route. Usually he woke up his father, also named John, they were both Johns, to help with the paper route. But on the morning of Sunday, September 5th, 1982, he did not wake up his father. Johnny left his house somewhere around 5.45 a.m. This is speculated because a neighbor heard his wagon being pulled through his yard because he had like a little red wagon that he would put all the papers into in order to deliver them. He didn't ride a bike? No. That was his first mistake. He could have gotten away. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> i don't know if i can dispute that i guess <laughs> hindsight right <laughs> johnny took the family's miniature dachshund 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 i can't say it when i'm Dachshund. reading it i was gonna be like dachshund <laughs> uh johnny took the family's miniature dachshund gretchen with him to set out on his paper route. I, For people who don't know what a dachshund is, it's a wiener dog. It's a little wiener dog. And her name was Gretchen. Her name was Gretchen. 
Dogs with people names do something for me. I love it. I know. That's like so, a little wiener dog right? named Gretchen. That feels very Midwestern, very Iowa of you yeah, <laughs> to have is. a little dog named Gretchen. I want to get an English bulldog and I want to name her Patrice. Not after it. my roommate, but <laughs> don't this get an English predates bulldog. <laughs> French. Are the French Do ones? a French bulldog? Yeah, sure. But get get one of the ones you have to pay more that have the more extended nose. Smushed face but dogs. I love an English bulldog. Yeah. Oh, but they But I they love that they got like their big arms. <laughs> Gretchen. Gretchen. Gretchen the dog. Fellow paper carriers said they'd seen Johnny pick up newspapers at the paper drop. So they had like a paper drop that was in the neighborhood where all the news boys, all the paper boys would pick up their papers and they were like the different papers that had different paper boys employed by different papers <laughs> but they would all one, pick up at the same drop like a depot is, is yeah this the plot Sing to newsies? newsies right now yeah. <laughs> where's my chicago steel another <laughs> this bad time at the zoo <laughs> this is not newsies <laughs> we don't have the rights <laughs> Yeah, Disney owns that now. We can't sing fucking newsies. They always have. Yeah, they always have now. (laughs) Christian Bale was in the movie. Um, This at the paper drop was the last sighting of Johnny that can be corroborated by multiple witnesses. There was a paper boy, Mike, who reported seeing Johnny talking to a stocky man near the paper drop who was driving a blue two-toned Ford Fairmont. I don't know what that means. It's funny how stocky could mean tall or also creepy that's what i was thinking too <laughs> no like like, like stocky the stocky. adject oh, they're both adjectives oh yeah stocky meaning like big and yeah barely. yeah large and in charge large and in charge man there was another witness that saw the same man in the car talking to johnny and this guy thought that something was off johnny actually came to this witness whose name was john rossi and said that the man in the car was asking for directions and was asking for Rossi's help to give him these directions. Rossi says that the car swerved and took off after Johnny asked for his help and, like, sped away. As Johnny was walking north towards the start of his route, another paperboy noticed that a man was following Johnny. A different man. It doesn't say. I think it might have been the same car. uh, Okay. Um, But it was not... It wasn't, like, a big red flag. I mean, it was the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> What's a there red were many flag things in the yeah, 80s? Red flags didn't exist in the 80s. <laughs> After the paperboy had noticed this man following Johnny, a neighbor heard a car door slam and saw a silver and black Ford Fairmont speeding away. Johnny's parents, John and Noreen, started getting calls from people along Johnny's route complaining of undelivered papers. John immediately started searching the neighborhood at around 6 a.m., where he found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The silver Ford Fairmont that the neighbor had seen was speeding north, which was away from where Johnny's wagon was found. Was Gretchen in the wagon? Gretchen was there. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. I forgot to write it in. But it's important that he took Gretchen with him because his wagon was there, the dog was still there, but Johnny was missing. The Goshes called the police immediately, but because it was the 80s, policy was that Johnny couldn't be classified as a missing person until 72 hours had passed. That was like law. Like they could not. 72 hours. Even with what they had seen. Yep. Well, and even after you think about like the string of child abductions that happened in the 70s and then into the 80s. This was one of the the earlier ones. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Because it's 1982. Yeah. Um, I'll get into it a little bit later, but Johnny was one of the first kids whose faces was on like the side of the milk cartons. But I'll get into that a little bit later. So this was still pretty early, though, into like the whole child abduction phenomenon, I guess, that happened. I just feel like with all the serial killers that sprung (laughs) to notoriety in the 70s, that people would have been a little bit more cautious about their kids. (laughs) No. The internet wasn't a thing as much. No. Yeah. And it's also west des moines iowa like i can't imagine that a whole lot of shit like this happens there there was also a completely different outlook on children and children's place in a family and like all of that and parents didn't like there was an expectation that they would be safe but there was also like i'm busy 
So yeah, take care right. of yourself. Latch you know what I mean? They were because, all latchkey kids. <laughs> because in the 80s, yeah, both parents were working. Most kids were latchkey kids. That's just the way it was. And it's not that the parents didn't love their children. It's just that they didn't have time. And there was and also a culture of like, kids take care of themselves. Like, we don't yeah. dote on her. Mm-hmm. Not like today when your kid's 14 and not you're like, like, do you think I can leave Johnny home alone? Days. I mean, he's 14 <laughs> years old. You know, shit like that. I think there is something to be said, though, about just letting kids be kids. Yeah, you guys, and like, I think you guys are, like, not... one of the last generations that really got to, and you didn't get to experience it like I did, like, being a kid. Just being a kid and running around and doing yeah. kid shit. And... Well, I mean, it's cases like this that kind of had had to change that kind of yeah. mentality. I'm not saying it's wrong to look watch your children. It's yeah. just, it's like, now I, I don't know if we've there gone There is a such a thing as overwatching them. <laughs> so not only did the police not say that they couldn't file a missing persons report until 72 hours later. They also didn't arrive to take Noreen's report for 45 minutes. And the police station was only 10 blocks away. He probably just ran away. That That mm-hmm. is something they initially thought Johnny was a runaway. And I, I watched the documentary Who Took Johnny? And I think I've seen this documentary. Mm-hmm. The whole time they talked to the old police chief of the West Des Moines Police Department. And the whole time he said that there was no crime scene and there was no evidence to say that anything had happened, that this kid just disappeared for no reason. And they were like very adamant towards Noreen about the fact that he was probably a runaway. And like, I know most parents will be like, my child would never run away. But like Johnny truly would never have run away. Even neighbors said that. Neighbors were surprised when they get, didn't get their papers. They were like, this kid's very responsible. He's not the type of kid to get into trouble. He comes from a very loving family, a very doting family. So him not being there was like not him running away. Yeah, that almost makes me think like if I would have like gone missing in high school, everybody would have been like, yeah. she's too scared to run away. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way she ran away. She doesn't even like walking from the bus by herself. She already (laughs) told on herself. (laughs) If I would have tried to run away when I was a kid home, I lived a half hour drive from just my small town. (laughs) Yeah. There was no walking along E470. Like, (laughs) there was no way that I was going anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, there was no viable motive and little evidence. And no suspects were or ever have been arrested in this case. But by saying that there was no viable evidence, I think that the police just did a really shitty fucking job with going to the crime scene. Like, they didn't go. They didn't collect anything. And even the police chief himself said there was no crime, so there's no crime scene. But, like, you think about, and, like, granted, it's 82. And so what they have in terms of, like, forensic crime scene yeah ability is not great still but there could have been evidence there right yeah definitely that that disappeared in that time that they wasted and that that's something that will kind of come up again that the police just did a shitty job yeah (laughs) and are kind of continued to do a shitty job as years went on the police no (laughs) unheard of A few months after Johnny's disappearance, he was supposedly spotted in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a boy yelled to a woman for help before being dragged off by two men. In 1984, Johnny's picture appeared on milk cartons all across America alongside the picture of Juanita Lee Estevez. They were the second and third missing children to be put on milk cartons. The first was Eaton Pats, who I believe disappeared in New York. But that was like the the start of like the the missing kid on the the milk carton that is like okay. widely known, widely recognizes something in society. I think. <laughs> I kind of wish they still did it. Now we get, too many now. Now we, now get, we get Amber, Amber alerts, alerts, which mm. there's a different story about why we get Amber alerts because of a little girl named Amber who Are was you taken. Going into it, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> but just I don't know. Like Fun you, fact. you think about all of the the things that we have in set in place for like missing children and it's because a child went missing and it was handled so poorly. Yeah. And it's like really sad to think about, but it's good that something came out of that scenario that it's like, now we are able to, you would think we have that the a, infrastructure to look for, to look after it a little you bit. You would more. think that 
something this serious wouldn't require something like trial and error. <laughs> but unfortunately, you yeah, would that's where we ended up. Hope. There are also a few potentially linked cases to the Johnny Gosh disappearance. So Johnny went missing in 1982, in September of 1982. And on August 12th of 1984, another Des Moines paperboy went missing. His name was Eugene Martin. He disappeared while delivering papers on the south side of Des Moines. Johnny was in West Des Moines. So it was, I mean, same city, but a little bit different area. They were both paper boys. Both went missing. Both essentially just like vanished when they were doing their paper route. And then also March 29th of 1986... 13-year-old Mark James Warren Allen went missing while going on a walk to a friend's house across the street. And he never made it to his friend's house. And he just, like, disappeared. He never made it there. He said goodbye to his mom. And in in the Who Took Johnny documentary, she says that he was like, save some pizza for me when I get home because I'll be hungry. And then he, like, disappeared in that very short walk from his house to his friend's house. Mark was believed to be the third paperboy who went missing in Des Moines in the 1980s, but he actually wasn't a paperboy. That was just like misinformation that was spread around. And I think it, it wasn't until like 2013 when there were certain papers that were released to the public that showed that he wasn't actually a paperboy. <laughs> they just assumed it because the they other just two assumed were. It. Yeah, because there were two other boys in the same fucking city <laughs> that yeah. paperboys were going missing from. Three decades later, none of these three cases have been solved. No arrests have been made. Essentially, no no progress has been made on any no of these cases. No suspects or anything? No. Hmm. They just know the make of the car and they never found anything else out of it they could do? I didn't go too into um, Eugene and Mark's disappearances. I don't know how similar they are. I don't know if there are like people who saw the same car but it's pretty easy to see that they were linked just from how similar the boys were and how similar the, I guess the circumstances around their disappearances. They all happened in broad daylight in the early morning. Like, but with Johnny's case, at least they saw the car. No one got a license plate. The John Rossi, the guy who saw the car speeding off after he talked to Johnny said that he like pray, hoped and prayed that he would like have a dream and remember the license plate. And he was like kind of tormented about the fact that he couldn't remember it because that would at least be something for them to go off of. But that's kind of it. (laughs) So technically, they don't even know if that car was for sure the one that took him. Yeah, there was no eyewitness that saw Johnny being taken. But there was the neighbor who heard the door slam, saw the car drive off, and then there was just Johnny's wagon. So that is like as close as you can get to someone actually seeing him being taken by the car. Mm. But even that. How crazy would it be if he just like woke up like tomorrow? He was like, like, I remember "Ah, the license plate. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get into the whole issue of like recalled memories and if those are admissible in court. And then if you get like eyewitness testimony is actually kind of not the best because people's yeah, memories deteriorate he, even over like yeah. 24 hours so but, but it would be that would something be pretty to crazy <laughs> i mean they already have the make and model it sounded like yeah and there's there's that discrepancy of the paperboy mike who said that it was a blue two-toned ford and then the neighbor who Gray said it was black. silver and black um but it's the close same enough. make and model, and, and that's it was the close enough color that, like, in <laughs> certain light, might well, it was, look a different color. It was dawn. It was like right yeah. at yeah. sunbreak. That so. makes colors look really weird. Yeah. Silver is people. a cool color, so is blue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Color theory. Color theory. <laughs> Police couldn't prove a connection between the cases, and kind of adamantly said that there was no connection between these three cases. Um, so they weren't treated as like. They weren't treated like connected cases, which could have helped solve any of the three of them. Police did that a lot back then. Yeah. Would take cases that were almost obviously connected, but not like try to investigate figure out them how it together. Was yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. too much paperwork. <laughs> well, and I think the idea of someone going out and committing multiple crimes like this wasn't really a thought of 
idea. It was like you commit one crime, we find you or we don't, and then you go somewhere. Like you yeah. think of the idea of serial killers, and that's like a very recent thing in the 1980s. Yeah. Because you really didn't have any. I mean, there were, but it wasn't really a thought of thing until like the 1970s. Yeah. Especially with like year gaps in between. Yeah. Yeah. And if oh, there's so two cool. years in between each abduction, then yeah. it would be a good enough excuse for them to be like, well, That's they're not connected. Yeah. Or be, even. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ryan. I was just going to say it'd be fully easy to just get a new car by that point. So there wouldn't be any. Yeah. Yeah. Anything connecting the two other than. The city, which mm-hmm. they were on opposite sides of the city anyway, really. So it could easily just be brushed aside that it's just two very separate disappearances. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that for me and I know for like Noreen Gosh, when she talked about it, really drives home the fact that they have to be connected or at least like it's so easy to make that that jump that they are connected is that they're all around the same age they all get abducted in similar ways. No one has ever seen any of these boys again, like confirmed. Right. And then they all kind of look similar. It is all in the same city. And so like those, those are reasons I think that the police would be like, yeah, they're not connected. But if you think about it, even for a second, I think it's easy to be like, they might be connected. Maybe we should at least look into the fact that they could be connected. Yeah. I think that within two years, you could have different people working in that police department too. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. could be one of those things that the person that is assigned the new case isn't even aware of the case that happened two years ago. So they don't even know. And back then they didn't have the big, like now we have databases where you can punch in a few buttons in a computer and it pulls up all this information. Back then you had to actually have a reason to go through the paperwork and stuff. So that could be part of it. Yeah. I would almost I say that the fact that they all were just like look similar in the same city is more definitive than two of them being paper boys because that's just an easy way to get a yeah, kid alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all three of them were walking on the yeah. street mm-hmm. by themselves. Noreen Gosh says that she was informed of the abduction of Eugene Martin, who was a first boy in 1984 after Johnny's case. Uh, she was informed of the abduction months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for Johnny. The investigator said the kidnapping would take place the second week of August 1984, and it would be a paperboy from the south side of Des Moines. I That's literally all that I could find about that, about her hearing about it in advance before it happened. But that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's that is crazy. <laughs> huh. Maybe the PI was in on it. Yeah, like why would the private investigator who's looking for your son have that information in advance? That's yeah. weird. Not, <laughs> it's very not weird. do anything to try to stop it yeah. or something. Well, and then also Noreen being like, he told me this, and not just doing kind of nonchalant about it. Just about being it. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> that is weird. Maybe the PI was also uh, a medium or something. They did have a lot That'd of psychics in Johnny's case who were like, "You'll medium find him in PI. water." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe that he claimed to also be able to see the future or, <laughs> maybe. Like, or something. I don't know. Like psych. Like psych. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only he was faking in psych. Yeah. It was just... <laughs> this is a real <laughs> PI is... medium. <laughs> That's right. <coughs> medium PI. So sometime in 1984 or 1985, I don't have an exact date. 1985. There was a clerk at a store in Sioux City, Iowa, who received a dollar bill that had written on it, I am alive, and it was signed by Johnny Gosh. Nothing really came from that. How much is that dollar worth now? I, I mean, I don't know. It's probably locked away in an evidence somewhere. Locker could collecting dust. Also in 1985, Noreen received a letter from Robert Herman Meyer II from Saginaw, Michigan. The letter was signed Samuel Forbes, Dakota. Meyer said that he was a guard in a motorcycle club when Johnny disappeared in 1982. And according to Meyer, Johnny was taken as part of a child slavery ring that was operated by the motorcycle club that he worked at. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) He requested and received $11,000 from the Goshes. And requested an additional $100,000 more with a promise to return their son and have more information about where he was and what happened to him. The letter stated that Johnny was sold to a high-level drug dealer residing in Mexico City. Meyer was arrested in Buffalo by the FBI and was charged with fraud by wire. 
so I mean, they said that he was lying mm-hmm. and that he was just trying to get money, which kind of happened a lot in this case that there were people taking advantage of the goshes. Yeah. And trying to get money for tips and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even though he was charged, Noreen believed that Meyer, Noreen believed Meyer and criticized the FBI for his arrest. And she said that it destroyed her and her husband's credibility with anyone who had taken offer to pay for ransom for Johnny. So she she was so willing. And you see this if you watch any interviews about her. She's so willing to do whatever it takes to get her son back that she paid that $11,000 fully willingly. Like, mm-hmm. even if it was that Meyer was lying, didn't have any information, she was willing to pay that money yeah. on the off chance. Just to get that peace of mind, yeah. too. I mean, and you think if he's, like, locked up in prison, then she doesn't know either way whether he's telling the truth or not. Like, yeah. that possibility has been hanging over her head ever since. And whether she found out if he was lying or telling the truth, I think just having that peace of mind yeah. would be enough to be able to move on from that and the fact that she's willing to pay so much just to get that peace of mind you know i don't yeah. know yeah i get it yeah well we are gonna take our break and when we come back i'm gonna talk about paul Bonacci and a whole fucking this is where it kind of gets like really convoluted and really deep into it um so yeah i think we okay. should take our break before that. take our break now okay <laughs> all right break time Hey, Chevys. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying this show so far. While we were on our break, I just wanted to shout out how you could get a hold of us. You could email us at ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ffsthepodcast if you wanted to shout us out to your friends. We're on Facebook, EFFED, Up Storytime. Thanks for listening. We love you, Chevys. And uh, let's get back to the the effed up story anyway missing children (laughs) missing child uh all right so want to get back into the story now or do we want to talk about something else besides licking butts beforehand i I love licking butts i (laughs) just want to bring up that that vine do you guys remember what ryan said made me think of it he's like there's only one thing worse than a rapist (laughs) and you raised a child child. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> alrighty so when we left off at the break we were talking about uh, the other children who had possibly been abducted who were abducted in similar circumstances to Johnny and I mentioned Paul Bonacci so in 1989 Paul Bonacci who was 21 at the time told his attorney John DeCamp that he was abducted into a sex ring with Johnny as a teenager He was forced to participate in Johnny's kidnapping. Paul was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, or as we know it today, disassociative identity disorder, because he was a victim of sexual abuse since the age of six, and he was also a convicted sex offender. DeCamp believed that Paul was telling the truth, and Noreen, Johnny's mother, had actually met with him and says he told her things He'd only know from talking to her son. Paul described the birthmark on Johnny's chest and a burn scar on his leg and a scar on his tongue. There was a description of the birthmark on Johnny's chest that was widely distributed to the public, but information on the scars were not made public. So that is something that Paul had to have either guessed or he actually had met Johnny and knew him. Paul mentioned that Johnny talked about meditation and yoga, and Noreen was a yoga instructor, but she had never told the public that. And, yes. So, my question is, do they have documentation that Paul was in a sex ring, or is this just his story? They know he was sexually abused. Do they know he was in the sex ring? I will kind of get into that. I don't think that there is so much it's 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 really convoluted and difficult because there is evidence that Paul talks about where he has very specific examples of like people that were involved in this sex ring. He has locations that they went to and they confirmed that those locations existed. He was 
like there there's documentation that is pretty clear that Paul was involved in some kind of sex crime organization. Whether or not it's the one that took Johnny is still kind of up for debate. Well, and, that would be that's kind of like Paul's word that but I just didn't know if there was proof that he was actually in like some sort of a sex ring when he was a child as opposed to could he be like creating this whole scenario or if there's some truth to it that's yeah I'll I'll get into it a little bit later I think because it revolves around this one other case where it really gets like complicated (laughs) uh that's I think the most evidence that he was involved in a sex ring okay so Paul Bonacci also mentioned that Johnny talked or he also described how Johnny would stammer when he was upset. And that's something that Noreen was like, yeah, he did do that. And that, again, was not something that was widely distributed to the public. Paul talked about someone named Emilio and JG as being ringleaders of the sex ring. Um, and Paul also received letters from numerous children across the the country who also mentioned Emilio and JG, like when he went to prison for his own sex offenses, he was receiving a lot of mail from all of these people talking about these people as if they had like also been involved in the sex ring. And so the thing that I, I mentioned about the other case, Bonacci was actually a witness in the Franklin credit union case or otherwise known as the Franklin cover up, which is like its own huge fucking thing in and of itself. Okay. Yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> if there's a really good, I'm pretty sure it's last podcast does it. It's like one of their earlier episodes. It's like a really in-depth look at the Franklin cover-up. And this is it's fucking wild, dog. <laughs> so, the the Franklin Credit Union case was there's a man Larry King in Omaha, Nebraska who had it was mostly like wire fraud and like money fraud. That's what he was arrested for. But there were also allegations of a child prostitution ring that were raised against Larry King. And however, federal grand jury said the allegations were unfounded and a carefully crafted hoax. Wow. All I can think about is this being about the television host, Larry King. <laughs> I know no, me too. Different Larry <laughs> King. <laughs> So even though the the federal grand jury said that it was a hoax, Paul Bonacci was awarded $1 million in damages, essentially. However, the sum was never paid to Paul Bonacci. But it was like found there was enough foundation underneath these allegations that they awarded him money because he had been obviously abused in some way by this man and caused a lot of mental and emotional damage to him. Mm-hmm. But they didn't go so far as to say that there was enough evidence to prove that there was a child prostitution ring. Okay. The FBI and local police didn't believe Paul Bonacci to be a credible witness, and they never interviewed him. To this day, they still have not interviewed really? him. Really? Yes. Wow. Damn. That is a gross lack of... Yeah. Yep. What am I, what am I trying to... I negligence. Wonder, <laughs> I wonder who's involved in that sex ring that's paying... The- well, and that's the, the one of the big things about the Franklin cover-up is that it was a lot of like government people, a lot of people in high power. Or and with that's, money. Yeah, and that's kind of why the idea of it being a cover-up comes up in the first place in that, yes, Larry King was arrested for these money charges, but never arrested for any of the multiple allegations. Like, it wasn't just Paul Bonacci that was a witness. There were multiple other people who came forward and said all these things and said that there was an active child sex ring going on in Omaha at the time. Mm-hmm. And mind you, Omaha is only a two-hour drive from Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, yeah. That's not that far. No. The Midwest, <laughs> and all the roads are straight and flat, and you can get places pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> so the FBI, even though they never interviewed Paul Bonacci, they interviewed his siblings, who had told police that he was home in Omaha the day that Johnny was abducted. Johnny was abducted around 6 a.m. in the morning. Omaha is a two-hour drive. He very easily could have, Mm -hmm. like, playing devil's advocate here. Because I do, I feel like there's a lot of truth behind what Paul Bonacci says. Like, yes, he has documented disassociative identity disorder. But that only comes about if you have experienced a great deal of trauma. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason for that, for one. The reason that he is the way that he is now. And just because he suffers from this now does not mean that everything that he says is 
false. Exactly. So so he very well could have gone, been forced to be part of Johnny's abduction, and been home by eight. Yeah. That day. Easy. And also, they, the police didn't interview Bonacci's family until 10 years after the event. Oh so that, again, goes into the whole idea that eyewitness testimony and, like, recalled memories and stuff like that is not reliable. Yeah. Especially 10 mm. years after an event has taken place. So the TV show America's Most Wanted aired a story on Paul Bonacci. And for those who don't know, John Walsh, who's the host of America's Most Wanted, is the father of Adam Walsh, who was a murdered six-year-old boy in 1981. He's like one of the very first yeah, that was another children. I know the whole story yeah. of that. Yeah, and it's that's what spurred America's Most Wanted. That's what's helped to catch so many child abductors, you know, and other criminals out there. So, yeah, it's done a lot of good, but it was a sad, tragic story. Mm -hmm. Well, and because of John Walsh's, like, involvement and because of his history, they did a lot of stories on missing children. Yeah. Uh, including Johnny Walsh, or including Johnny Gosh. <laughs> did John Walsh have anything to do with the milk curtains? Because I feel like he might have had something to do with the faces on the milk curtains, but I he might be wrong. might have. I'm not entirely sure. In the documentary, Who Took Johnny, they said that it was a local dairy that had the idea. And okay. so it was, like, in Iowa, they had Johnny's picture and then Eugene Martin's picture. Okay. So it may not have had anything to do with him then. Well, and I think a lot of it was Eaton Pats, because that was the first one, and that took place in New York. And he was the very first child to be put on the milk cartons. Um, and I think it was like Johnny and Eugene that kind of like spurred, spurred it into it. a national movement. Yeah. Bonacci's story was somewhat corroborated by people calling into America's Most Wanted. Paul had mentioned a brand of people involved in the sex ring. And then someone came forward and talked to America's Most Wanted. And he had that very same brand that Paul had mentioned. Uh, he also mentioned going to a house in Colorado with Johnny and other children. This is like one of the locations that America's Most Wanted visited. They corroborated that this location existed. It was exactly where Paul said that it would be. Where um, in Colorado? I don't know. I didn't look it up. I'm just curious. Since we're here in I know. Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> it I from the images that I saw, it kind of looked like it was like on the plains. So probably eastern Colorado somewhere. Or east southern, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and that house was owned by a former prison guard who disappeared and left the house abandoned. And there's, like, no record of the prison guard after a certain point. Huh. Weird. Which is just, like, strange in co context with the fact that it could have potentially been used for a child sex trafficking ring. And what happened to the prison guard? Was he killed? Did he die naturally and they just found an abandoned house? Did Did, was he part of the sex ring and so he absorbed himself into it and... Yeah, there's like no, like, they just know that it was at one that point is owned so by That is so really shady and weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, the police never investigated or interviewed Paul Bonacci. And he has served his prison sentence. He's out of jail now. He has a family. He has children. And still very adamantly sticks to his story mm -hmm. that this all happened to him, that he knew Johnny, that he knew other children involved in this. Um and like, like I said, I, I believe a lot of what he's saying. <laughs> so sad. Mm -hmm. I just think about how satanic panic swept the fucking nation in the 80s while we just pretended like this other shit. And we still pretend like this shit isn't going on when there has been some weird, at least one major sex ring yeah. that's been going on in our country for fucking decades. Like you think, yeah. you think about... Uh, oh my god, why did I forget his name? Epstein. Epstein. Epstein you think about yeah. Epstein, and mm. you think about the fact that this was all substantiated. All of the shit against Epstein was substantiated. Yeah. He was arrested for that. And so and it had many been happening prominent, for decades. So many prominent politicians and celebrities were named. across yeah. the whole world have been linked, and not a single one has been and investigated And what happened after into. Epstein died? Anything else Nothing. happened? Nothing, exactly. And I'm sorry, I will still, I'm going to say this on every fucking episode from here on out about Anne Hesh. I don't think that she was on drugs. I think she was fucking killed. I think she was killed. And there's, there's like, like, I don't know if I would go so far as I feel a lot of people do in this, like, you these can, kind of cases. You can kind of really go into it and be like, it's an entire government cover-up. It's not. And, like, I don't know if I would go that far, but you can very plainly, maybe not plainly, but you can very... 
much draw the the idea that there is a cover-up going on in all of these different scenarios whether or not they're all connected who knows whether but like not, it happens whether or not they're all connected every single one is tied to a person who has enough power that they are able to keep covering these things up exactly mm-hmm. and there is this false notion that the government has fucking power like they have certain power over us peons to like a certain extent but it's not a government cover-up i don't think but I think that there is an aspect of like there is in shit that the people that are against it in government can do because there's enough people that are involved in it that have equal power. Well, it's not like just because you're in government you have no, they're still under the control of this big money, whatever the fuck is yeah. going on. And in the documentary, someone who was involved in America's Most Wanted made a very good statement that like you have these big organizations where not like they're good organizations the FBI is good like the mm, <laughs> we can mm. I mean at, generally at its very speaking, core the yes. idea of the FBI is good at its very core the idea of the police is good in some instances and the majority and of have, the people involved are probably good and you have these people but the problem is you have these people within the organization who are doing bad things mm-hmm. the nature of this organization is to protect itself and mm-hmm. to hide these things that are happening at whatever cost. Yeah. And so even if like the organization as a whole is not necessarily bad, the fact that they are covering up and like you look at the Catholic Church, like I, doubt know, I was just night. about yeah. to say this really feeds into the theme of the play that we watch. Yeah. And you can even break it down to like a family. A, yeah. a family that has a lot of power that ha- yeah. that means well, but then something happens and they have to cover it up and then they have to cover this up and the next thing you know, the family's corrupt because they've dug themselves into this hole where they can't get out. And that goes- show with Brian Cranston. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it can happen on a small scale and it can happen on a big scale, like with the government or with corporations. No. Okay. Uh, the the judge oh, or something I like that. Yeah. that one. I was like, it kind of fits into Breaking Bad, but not. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the FBI, the filmmakers who the filmmakers of Who Took Johnny Gosh tried to interview the FBI about him. Uh, it took them like multiple requests to try and talk to somebody to get an interview with anyone at the FBI about it. And they eventually went to interview someone and they started asking questions about Johnny and immediately they said there will be no questions about Johnny Gosh which is so fucking weird and shady <laughs> well and why I would you agree to interview on a documentary about Johnny Gosh, Johnny Gosh if you're what not did you going think to it was gonna be about? talk about Johnny Gosh I would like to argue that it's shady but it's not weird because the government agencies the government have been doing that, shit yeah. like that all over yeah. It's not out of the ordinary, but it doesn't <laughs> yes. make it any less no, fucking it's still shady. Sh- it's shady, for sure. Yeah. I, I just thought that was a very interesting <laughs> little tidbit. So I don't know if anyone has, like, if any of you have heard about this case before, if you've heard about Noreen Gosh, but there's kind of this public opinion of her that she went a little crazy. Um, Who she, fucking wouldn't? Well, and she was very outspoken since the beginning. Like, she was fighting the police who department. Is, who is this? Noreen this is Johnny's mom. Johnny's mom. Okay, thank you. Sorry. But, like, since the beginning, Noreen has been fighting the police department, fighting with the FBI. She had to fight to get the FBI down there. She was a woman ahead of her time. Yeah. Now we're realizing that's the only way that you can get anything done. Exactly. And so I, I think a lot of the public opinion that she went crazy is like obviously unfounded. Well, she's a woman who was upset. Of course she went of course crazy. She's crazy. Yeah. She's hysterical. <laughs> but there is, there is, uh, I'll talk about, I think, the main reason that people say that, especially nowadays. Like in the beginning, it was obviously she was a woman trying to talk to people in power and they didn't like that. But nowadays I think people mostly point to this being the reason that she's quote unquote crazy. And I just want to say, I don't think she's crazy. (laughs) I think that she is, she was a morning mother trying to do the fucking best to get her child. Justified in every fucking feeling and action that she attempted. Yes. Yeah. You have to wait. As soon as somebody told me you have to wait 72 hours before we can start looking for your child. You know, I'll me. find you them my fucking self. Literal <laughs> smoke coming out of my ears as I mow people down to go find my child myself. <laughs> well, in March of 1997, Noreen says that she was woken up by a knock on her apartment door at 2.30 a.m. At her door was a now 27-year-old Johnny Gosh, or so Noreen says. 
uh, as well as an unidentified man that they have no idea who he was. He was just there with Johnny. Noreen says that she immediately recognized her son and he opened up his shirt to reveal the birthmark on his chest. And I have a little bit of a quote from her. She says, we talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak. He didn't say where he is living or where he was going. The night he came here, he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and it was straight and dyed black. And Noreen self-published a book in 2000 titled Why Johnny Can't Come Home. And it was based on the original research of multiple private investigators and on her son's visit. She says that Johnny told her he was the victim of a pedophile organization and was cast aside, cast aside when he became too old. Um, and Johnny still feared for his life and lived under an assumed identity. And he didn't feel like it was safe to return home. And that's why people think she's crazy because they don't believe that. Yes, that because really there's happened. no I, like substantial evidence other than her first person testimony God. that he actually visited her. And Johnny's father, John, who had divorced Noreen in 1993, said that he doesn't know if there was a visit. And if there was a visit, he thinks that it was someone taking advantage of Noreen. But did she give this person money? Did she? No, they just talked. They just talked. Yeah. And so what fact, advantage would they get from Yeah. yeah. And I. I don't think that that sounds too much out of the ordinary based on some of the shit that's come to light in the last mm. decade yeah. about this stuff that we've all just pretended isn't going on. Yeah. I'm getting mad. I'm I getting know. Really mad. Mad. <laughs> yeah, this is a fucking infuriating case. September 1st of 2006, Noreen found photographs left at her front door. She posted some on her website that she has. I think she still has it up uh, to try and find Johnny. There was one color photo that shows three boys bound and gagged and a black and white photo that shows what appears to be a 12-year-old Johnny bound, gagged, and with a brand on his shoulder. And that brand like Paul Bonacci was talking about. So that, again, it just kind of like, if if this is a real photograph, substantiates what Paul Bonacci was talking about, too. Well, and whether it really was... You're saying whether the photograph actually existed? No, the photograph exists. So whether it really was whether Johnny was, or not, there yeah. was still some poor fucking kids that were bound and Yeah, that nobody seems to give a shit well, about. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was also another photo that shows a po- possibly dead man with something tied around his neck, and Noreen has stated that the man in the photo was one of the perpetrators who molested her son. Uh, I don't know a whole lot on that photo. It's really just these two photos of the boys that there's a little bit more evidence on. There, there was a letter in September 13th of 2006 that was anonymously mailed to Des Moines police stating, Gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question, not one of her son, but of three boys in Tampa, Florida, about 1979 to 1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning that picture made by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed. No wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zalva. This allegation should be easy enough to check out. I call shenanigans. Well, you'd be wrong. (laughs) So there was a Nelson Zalva who worked for the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office in the 1970s. And he confirmed basically everything that they said in the letter. So it was just some kids fucking around trying to be Houdini. I, again, call Uh shenanigans. Well, and there's, there could be a little bit of contention there because Nelson interviewed everyone in the photos. Like he identified these boys, he interviewed them and they didn't have any allegations to bring forward. Whether or not that means that those photos were taken they, like, could have, they could have been, but, but the boys didn't bring anything forward that could charge anybody. been a parent walking into yeah. a room with their fucking kids. I mean, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And they're like, we're gonna, we're trying to escape and thinking it's funny the, and taking a picture. the brands that, and that, the... No, no, no. So the brand was only on the, the black and white photo. Oh, The color this is photo the other with photo. the three boys is the one that Nelson Zalva... Okay. Interviewed the boys. There, he found there to be no wrongdoing. Okay. Okay. And there were no that charges. makes sense. But still, the black and white photo, he couldn't prove that this photo was from the same investigation. And in the documentary, they give the photo to him, and he's like, "I don't remember seeing this one, but it was thirty years ago. I could have." And that 
feels like a photo that you would remember seeing. But I, if you're if you're an investigator and yeah, you see and you photos, look at photos like that, like that every time. single fucking day, I guess you're right. <laughs> like for you and me who don't see fucking like child sex exploitation materials, yes, that photo would stick in our mind. But when it's your job to deal with yeah, that, like, I don't try think to about scrub that. it from your brain. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't want to think about yeah, this. I don't want to remember this. And, and I'm going to go home and drink a whole bottle of whiskey to forget. <laughs> So the photo with the three boys, the one in color, was substantiated to like there is they interviewed the people. They have identities for those three boys. The boy in the black and white photo, there is no confirmed identity for. And a lot of people like if you look at the photos, it kind of looks like Johnny, but it could also be someone else. And so it's yes. And. Both of these photos showed up in the same envelope. Yes, on Noreen's weird. doorstep. How weird. This like weird random photo of these kids just fucking around being kids and then this like actual terrifying photo of this unidentified boy. How yeah. did you get both of those photos? Well, and well Noreen <laughs> says that she found the photos on a child exploitation like website. Oh. Uh, that was taken down shortly after. And so even though the first photo wasn't taken with nefarious intent, it was being distributed. So with somebody could have downloaded it. And yeah, because that happens yeah. a lot. Like you have a photo of your child in the bath, not taken with nefarious intent. You put it on the internet. Someone on the internet takes it and distributes it as child pornography. And so I think that's what happened with the first photo, yeah. at least. I don't know about the second photo. Nobody does, because nobody knows who the boy in it is. Where was it cropped? You said that it was. It showed the uh, it, brand. Yeah, it showed it like the brand, I think, on, on his, his shoulder? shoulder. Yeah. Appears to be 12-year-old Johnny Bound gagged with a brand on his shoulder. So it has to show at least, like... From the nose down, then, if he was gagged? It, it shows his face. I Because they show at least, like, one of the photos. You receive multiple of them, and I think this one that they're talking about right now, <clears throat> they showed in the Who Took Johnny documentary, and it's, like, a 12-year-old-looking boy sitting on a bed, shirtless, uh, like, a bandana in his mouth, and you see his whole body. You see his head all the way to his toes. He's wearing, like, jeans, and his hands are tied with rope and his feet are tied together with rope. So then you could see the birthmark on his chest? Is that why they There's identified one, it as Well, him? the the one they showed was him like you couldn't see his chest. It was uh -huh. kind of him like looking over his shoulder a little bit. Um there is one that shows a little bit of his chest that Noreen said she thought she like she's very adamant she could see a birthmark. A lot of people say that it's just the shadow in the photo, and Especially I kind of think it's just the shadow in the white, photo. Yeah, it's really hard to tell sometimes. Well, and John, 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 gosh, Johnny's dad said that it looks nothing like Johnny to him. Uh, um, this just fuels so it, the yeah. It just fuels the idea that Noreen is crazy. Well, and you also, I don't know. It makes me wonder because I definitely don't think that she's crazy. No, I think that. John is just an asshole who couldn't handle his wife feeling emotions for one time in their whole relationship. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't no, go that I far. I just don't I mean, respect men. <laughs> usually when there's a tragedy like losing a child in a marriage, it, it's like a 50-50 chance it will either bring them closer together or it will yeah. destroy the relationship and because John they're both worked grieving just as hard as Noreen did to no, try and get I believe Johnny back. That. But if Noreen I mean, wouldn't let it go and I John also, was at a point where he's like I can't I got to let it go. Can't hold on to that this. Yeah, or it's just no, I get that. Uh so Noreen gosh still believes oh, yeah. that this picture, this black and white picture is of her son Johnny. To this day, there have been no arrests made and the case is considered cold but open. Uh, it's just kind of stagnant. Just Noreen, hang in there. Noreen is doing a lot of the work to try and figure it out. None of the governmental agencies are really helping her anymore at this point. She's mm -hmm. hired private investigators that have helped her, but it's kind of just Noreen Gosh at this point keeping this alive. I just want to say that it's funny that in like 99% of the stories that we talk about, 
private investigators are doing the most. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's because you're paying them. Yeah. And so they can focus all I paid all the police their... with my fucking taxes. Yeah. They should do... also be doing the most. To do everything they have to do. But you're hiring a guy to just do your Just do this thing. one yeah. thing. Yeah. So Noreen, like I said, she continues to search for answers while helping other families with missing children. The Goshes, along with several other families of missing children, helped form the National Center for Mission for Missing and Exploited Children in 1984. And there is also a Johnny Gosh bill that was signed into effect in Iowa that requires police to act immediately when a minor goes missing. Yes. So no more 72 hours. And that is pretty much exclusively due to Johnny Gosh in this case and the notoriety that Noreen helped bring to it. And then just the idea that like the the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That's a huge, yes. huge thing yeah. that has helped save so many children, mm. helped at least, like, even if it doesn't save them, it helps bring these families some kind of peace if their children end up dying. Like, it's a huge thing that I can't believe didn't exist until yeah. 1984. Well, and it's, I can. <laughs> I, mean, I kind yeah. of go back to what I said earlier, that, like, it's really unfortunate that situations like this require a trial and error, but at least out of this... Like you said, so many children have been yeah. have been saved out of this horrible tragedy. And, and like going back to mystery. the America's Most Wanted guy, whose name I can't remember, John Walsh. John yeah. Walsh. <laughs> Adam was his son. Yeah, it was Adam like Walsh Adam's was his cause son. or Adam's something. I just want to say that in 1985, I was 10, and I am lucky to be alive. Every time I hear one of these stories, I'm like, I am. I was a cute little kid, and I rode my bike all over, and I. They saw that spitfire and they were like, mm, they're like not worth it. Why you never got picked up. We always said if somebody stole Bell, they'd drive around the block and drop her back off. <laughs> so that was a really effed up story, it Hannah, was but really it was good. Up. You did a good job. Thank you. Yeah. You filled the requirements the of sake. <laughs> I'm not doing so good at filling the effed up requirements because I don't have the bandwidth to read about somebody else's trauma because I'm having a hard time dealing with my own. You know, that's fair. I, I didn't even think that it was as fucked up as it was. No, I was just God, like, Johnny just, went missing. Yeah. and But it's so, it's so in depth. Up. And there's so many other stories that you could like take from this story and really mm. go into a deep and dive in. Like, it makes me personally wonder how many of these organizations are still... Yeah. Like in, you know, effect, I, I guess. I think it's just one big one with a bunch of like spinoffs. I, I think, think it's you're like right. one I big one. I think it's one like one with, with like, like different like, factions and yeah. different fucking parts of the country and the world and shit. But I think I, in the last podcast we recorded and Jess was like, you really think there are that many sex yeah. rings? And you and I both were like, mm -mm. no, <laughs> it's just one. It's just, it's um, okay. So I found my, my happy story. So, what are we calling this segment again? I forgot. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I like the PP corner. You don't like the PP corner? <laughs> I like the PP corner. PP corner. No, that's this is where it's supposed to be like, well, that was a really effed up story, Hannah. Now for something not effed up. The PP corner. <laughs> We're gonna force it. To this be is the up corner. for debate. We haven't even discussed it with Kelly, but uh, what does for the now. PP stand for? Positive plug. Uh. Yes. So, um, <laughs> my my not effed up story today is about a man named Hody Childress. Hody H O D Y. Hody. Katie Heron. Katie Heron. Hody. Hody Childress. H A D Y. H O D Y. O D. Hody. 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 Copy. I'm so sorry. Hody. This is about Hody Childress from Geraldine, Alabama. Um, who unfortunately has passed away, but uh, at his funeral, it was revealed that for a decade, he had been paying the pharmacy bills for people in Geraldine, Alabama. Aww. That is really cool. Yeah. He, he had a covert charity campaign 
when he visited the local Geraldine Drug Geraldine drugstore and learned that all too many of the town's 900 residents couldn't afford to pay for their subscriptions. I'm going to cry because I got... <laughs> oh, <laughs> This is like very true and real to me because when I fucking was trying to figure out my medication and I got a text message that was like, your medication that allows you to walk and work and act like a normal human being Didn't actually is $8,000 a month. Yeah. And if I weren't on Medicaid, that. I would not be able to afford that. And I've already, like last week before I got my medication back, I called out of work two times in a week I because was, I couldn't uh, walk. <laughs> I was so happy when you texted me that it was $3. With yeah, your me pay. too. I saw that. Thank God for Medicaid. Like... But so this is very, very near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart. That and like, old people so who many are on people. a lot of medication and on a fixed income. Yeah. Grandma Georgia with her See? glaucoma, her itty bitty little three milliliter bottle of eye medication was $90. What? $90. Oh God. I don't mind paying taxes for shit like that. So that's really cool. Yeah. He would return on the first of every month for years Uh, until late 2022 because he wasn't able to walk due to a pulmonary disease and other health conditions. Uh, But he incited to enlist someone for help. He asked his daughter, Tania Nix, to help him continue this. Um, And at his funeral on January 5th, 2023, Nix told the story of Childress's decades of giving and how it was able to cover the cost of expensive medications for two Geraldine residents per month. That is really cool. There are good people in the world. Remember that. Yep. When we talk about all the shitty people. (laughs) The bad people are so loud. That is true. (laughs) They are. are. Well, and like, I think what makes it so much sweeter is that this man didn't do it for like the the publicity of it all. No, he didn't tell anybody. Yeah. He told his daughter when she started helping him. And it's like he was truly doing this out of the kindness of his heart. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, thank you, Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Uplifting. All right. Well, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Anybody have anything else to add? Ryan, tell us one more time about your show. Spring Awakening up in North Glen. March 25th is opening. And we run for three weekends. And it's the friends and family? Uh, Family. Family. With a PH. Family with a family theater company? Yes. Okay. With a PH. Support your local disabled artists. Yes. That would also mean supporting us. Yay. Yay. We love you, Chevys. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.